I'm excited about and anticipating next Sunday's service. We're going to have Reverend Dr. Jack Connell with us, the new president of ENC. Um, it's not like it's an ENC Sunday, okay? Dr. Connell was a pastor before he was a president. So he's coming to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should know that on the way in. But he will absolutely also bring greetings from Eastern Nazarene College and it will be a great day to ask him questions about the school and about a lot of the great things that are happening there. Uh, I'm gonna need help next week. Next week is a really busy weekend because it's also the weekend when we are hosting the New England District Assessment Weekend. So everybody who would like to get a minister's license on our district, the New England District, will be here for the whole weekend, eating their meals here, going to seminars, going through evaluation periods. That's going to culminate on Sunday morning as well. So we have a couple events happening together, and I need six or seven people who can help me with the logistics on Sunday morning. So if you talk to me after the service and you're able to help, get, help us set up for the dinner or those kinds of things, let me know. I actually have a clipboard in the back table so I can give you assignments if you're game uh, to assist in that. But it's gonna be a special week and uh, we're praying for nice weather so we can be inside and out. Uh, but if it rains, we'll just be inside and give glory to God uh, from inside. This morning we're again in the Gospel of Mark and we're gonna be looking in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. This, this particular passage, this, this sequence of accounts here that are in the eighth chapter, uh, I think there's uh, a hidden depth here that doesn't readily meet the eye. And I think the way the story is told is inspired. When we talk about the inspiration of scripture, we believe that what we received has been inspired by God. And when we look at these gospels, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that is inspired? Were these gospel writers simply just telling us the historical details of Jesus Christ? Or were they taking the historical details of Jesus Christ and weaving them together in a way to make a point about who Jesus is? And so what is inspired? Well, the writing of scripture is inspired, right? We believe that to be true. And so it's not just the revelation of the historical events and the things that Jesus did that is insightful for us, but it is the way the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knit these things together to reveal the truth of God to us. All of those things are inspired. So when I begin to talk about a second layer of what I'm seeing in this passage, that's what I'm addressing. I think Mark is doing a very specific thing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Gospels weren't written immediately on Jesus' death. There's some time passed before they were written. And that time gave folks time to digest the meaning of what Jesus was saying. Because candidly, we know that when Jesus dies and is raised from the dead, his disciples still don't get it. So if they wrote the Gospels then, they would have written Gospels that would not have been helpful to us because they still didn't get it. They were still clueless. You have to wait the period of time till they get a clue so that they can be inspired because they now have revelation from the Holy Spirit to be able to write these things. So if you take a look at some parallelisms in this particular gospel, I find them very insightful. If you look at Mark 6.31 and you start to read the sequence of stories, that's the sequence that I've been preaching for the last three weeks. And then you start in Mark 8, 1, and you read the sequence of the stories, you find that there's 
a parallel outline here. It's almost as if Mark wanted to make this particular point, and so he tells this sequence of stories to reach this point, and then he starts in Mark 8, and he tells another sequence of stories, and they almost look the same. What, what's Mark driving at? Jesus feeds a multitude. The sea is crossed. There's a conflict with the Pharisees. There's a conversation about bread. There is a healing, and there is a confession of faith in each. The outline follows the same. And I'm thinking when I read this that Jesus is reteaching the same lesson again. At some level, that's encouraging to me because I often don't get it the first time. And the fact that Jesus and Mark both understand the fact that some of these lessons need to be taught multiple times before they're caught is good. But it does also beg another question, and that is, why does it take me so long to learn these lessons sometimes? I mean, couldn't I have perceived what was going on more quickly? Couldn't the disciples have? Couldn't we have? So we're, we're talking about the feeding of the 4,000 today. And I'm going to jump down and begin reading in Mark chapter 8, verse 11. So if you would stand for the reading of the gospel, Mark 8, 11, we'll read through to roughly verse 21. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It's because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. Then he said to them, do you not yet understand? Lord, would you help us to perceive your word today? pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is in process of teaching another lesson, the same lesson again. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is powerfully able to provide what we need when we rely on him. He is more than we understand. He is more than we recognize. All this is true of Jesus and still the disciples don't understand. The Pharisees are injected into the story, and they demand a sign. And the sign they demand is a sign that would make faith irrelevant. They want the sun to turn blue or some other thing to happen so they do not have to exercise faith anymore. But Jesus doesn't permit this. He doesn't coerce folks to believe. He offers folks insight and the chance to believe. He doesn't dazzle to prove. He offers signs to entice. 
He knows full well that if he turns the sun blue, in just a few years, people will doubt it ever happened, and it will be written off as impossible, as legend, as myth, because if you weren't there to see it yourself, you're not going to believe it anyway. And besides, Jesus knows he's dealing with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees know the law. And if he provided this kind of a sign just to prove who he was, which would have been improper motivation, they would quote to him Deuteronomy 13, 2 to 5, where the Jews are warned against self-promoting prophets. And they would have accused him immediately of breaking the law, of breaking Deuteronomy 13, because they, that he was driving people to worship him rather than God. And so, knowing the hearts of the Pharisees, he doesn't fall into the trap they've baited for him. But you and I know, we've heard the stories, he has been performing a different kind of sign. He hasn't really asked people to follow him up to this point. He's just been announcing the presence of the kingdom of heaven. He's given the opportunity to enter the kingdom. He's pointed people towards his father consistently to this point. But it should be obvious to people who happen to be awake and breathing anywhere in Jesus' sphere of influence that these signs are evidence that the kingdom of God is breaking in on earth. These two parallel accounts, both storylines end with miracles of healing. In one a deaf man gets his hearing back. In the other, a blind man sees again. And do you remember the words of Jesus? Are you seeing but still not perceiving? Are you hearing but still not listening? I mean, Jesus is asking his disciples, can't you see, can't you hear? And both of these narratives end with Jesus healing, hearing, and vision problems. Those who were unable to perceive the signs of the kingdom of God have been healed so that the revelation is available to them. It's not just the disciples who need to understand, to hear. It's, it's all of us. We need to be ones who can see, who can hear what God is doing. Jesus, the Son of God, is present, and they don't know it. The glory of God has been revealed to them and they don't see it. Think about that. The glory of God is present in front of them and they don't see it. If you walk back through the Old Testament, there are lots of descriptions of the glory of God. Moses gets a glimpse of God's glory as he's passed by in the mountain. It's, it's an experience that completely undoes him. He, he can't perceive or understand the immensity of the glory of God. You might remember the passage. He asked to see the glory of God, and God says to Moses, no one can really see my full glory and live, but I'll pass by you, and you can see the trailing piece of the back of my glory, just the tiniest little part of that, and just that tiny glimpse of the glory of God is so overwhelming, he's undone. What happens, he comes down from the mountain, his face is glowing in the reflection of God's glory so significantly that people around him ask him to put a hood over his face because they can't stand to look at him. That's just the reflection, the human reflection 
of the glory of God. In the desert, the, the Israelites are led by the glory of God. You know the story of how they worked their way through the wilderness as a cloud of fire that represents the glory of God, a pillar of smoke. Um, it's, it's the glory of God manifest immediately in their local vicinity. I mean, we know that God is everywhere present, right? Omnipresent is the word we use for that. We know that God is everywhere present, but God doesn't always manifest his presence everywhere in every situation. There have been specific times where, where the manifest presence has been obvious to those who are locally there. When you read in Isaiah 6, uh, the prophet has this vision of the glory of God filling the temple. And he describes the richness of the experience when a person is in the presence of the glory of God. This, this manifest presence, this glory of God that we actually can see and feel and almost touch because we know his presence with us. What we learn from the Hebrews author in the very first chapter is that Jesus is the expression of God's glory. Wherever Jesus is, the glory of God is manifest, present. What does Hebrews 1.3 say? He is the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being. And I'm wondering, given the status of these disciples and maybe of us, What's it like to be in a position where we cannot see the revealed glory of God? What keeps us blind to the glory of God? What keeps God's glory from being expressed through us as it was through Moses? Jesus says to the disciples when they're, boat, when they're in the boat, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. What, what does he mean by the yeast of the Pharisees? Well, you know what yeast is. Yeast is that substance that causes bread to rise. You put a little bit in it, it infects the whole loaf with its bubbling action, causes the loaf to rise. A little bit influences the whole. The yeast of the Pharisees, a little bit of addiction to power and position a little bit of self-reliance or reliance on tradition, a little bit of substitutions to relying on God, a little bit of thinking, I know best. Just a little bit of that yeast deflates everything and makes it impossible to perceive the glory of God or to reflect the glory of, glory of God because that yeast we collapse inward, we become self-centered. He talks about the yeast of Herod, Herod the king in the process. I wonder what the yeast of our society does to us today. Um, addiction to possessions or to power and position or entertainment or chemicals or, um, what's the yeast of our society doing to us today. God, we know, is present everywhere, but God is not perceived everywhere. His glory is expressed through creation, but many don't see it because they have an alternate explanation. His glory is expressed in the transformation of life he brings to all those who enter the kingdom, but many do not see it. 
And I'm wondering this morning, what about you? Do you perceive the glory of God all around you? And I'm talking about the manifest presence of the glory of God, not the imminent presence that is everywhere. I'm, I'm talking about, do you know his revealed glory? I keep thinking about this deaf man and this blind man who are healed and how it takes the work of God in each case to make it possible for them to understand, for them to sense, for them to perceive what's happening. And I wonder for us, what would need to happen to us for the gift of the glory of God to be perceived by us, but more than just perceived by us, reflected by us. Because I think it's the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of the society that makes it impossible for us to reflect the glory of God. This parallel storyline after the healing results in a confession. This is Mark 8, 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. A different gospel mentions Jesus' observation that it wasn't Peter who figured out that Jesus was the Messiah, but that that was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that this revelation of the true identity of who Jesus is was revealed to him. It wasn't Peter's cleverness. It won't be our cleverness if we ever get to the place where we reflect the glory of God. It won't be something that we strive to and attain on our own. It will only be by his healing work in us. The transformation that comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in each of us. So that our character begins to match the character of Christ. And the closer we get to the character of Christ by his grace and by his work, the more we will be able to reflect the glory of God in our lives. And isn't that our desire? Isn't it our desire to reflect the character of Christ to the world? Isn't it our desire for the, the manifest presence of Christ to dwell here among us when we gather? It's because there'll be so many people who are reflecting the character of Christ in their lives that the expression of the glory of God will just fill this place and he will choose to reside here because his character is reflected here. I believe that this can only happen through prayer. I believe that we can only see this kind of objective attained as we honestly rely on the Holy Spirit to take us on this journey. Anything that smacks of, I did it my way, will not pass muster on this journey. Anything that is just self-discipline will not be enough for us. We're going, to know, we're going to need to know the healing power of Christ in us. 
We're going to need to seek him to assist us to become what he wants us to be. And we're going to have to listen honestly when he points things out in our lives that we, by his grace, must change. If we're not willing to listen to that kind of advice, if we're not willing to receive the wisdom of Christ in those kind of situations, then we won't be agreeing with him and it will be impossible for us to reflect his character. We have to stop making excuses for ourselves, stop excusing our poor behavior, stop doing the things that the Holy Spirit is telling us in our hearts that we shouldn't be doing, and ask him to help us do differently. That's really the whole ball game. The whole ball game is saying to the Father, yes, I agree that what you're telling me is true, I'm gonna rely on you to help me do what you asked me to do. And to day by day by day, pray that he will help you do what he's calling you to do. At some point, we've gotta give up the excuses. Well, you know, that's just who I am. Scripture doesn't tell us anywhere to be who you are. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit wants to transform your character so that you can reflect the character of Christ. So pack that just who I am hooey and recognize that the Spirit loves us enough to enable us. I mean, you have to believe this. You have to rely that Christ can make this happen if it's going to happen in your life. He wants to transform each and every one of us to the image of Christ. That's that's the goal. That's what we're after. You say, aren't you setting the bar awfully high? Only as high as the grace of God. Only as high as what he reveals he wants to do for us. Don't we say, we're confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of his appearing? Don't you believe that he will do this work in us? Don't we believe that if we will agree with what the Holy Spirit says to us, he will enable us to become the people he called us to be? Do we need our ears healed this morning? Do we need our eyes healed this morning so that we can perceive what God would like to do in us so that we can proclaim with Peter, yes, you are the Christ. Nothing is beyond your reach. You are utterly reliable. You are utterly trustworthy and you can change me. I give you permission to change me. I will cooperate with you in the change. Lord, I give myself completely to you. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Let me be put to work for you. Let me be set aside for you. Let me have everything. Let me have nothing. Lord, I am yours. Do we believe that? Or are we still not understanding about the loaves? Are we still not perceiving the miracle that God wants to do in our lives? I'm confident that a piece of this equation for us is the work of prayer. And so starting on October 9th again, I'm gonna be here at the altar every Wednesday night at seven and inviting you to pray with me that God will manifest his glory 
in this place and in us. Every week, crying out to God for that. Because unless we agree with his direction for our lives, all our gatherings amount to is encouragement and self-help. And we're beyond the need for that. We need the transforming grace of Jesus Christ and his power at work in us. And we need a picture of God that is big enough to accomplish this task that we're not completely sure he can do. You say, well, yeah, I have faith that he can do that. Well, do you really? I, I mean, this is the way my mind works. It's like, Whitney, you've been on this journey for 60 years now. If you haven't got it figured out yet, is it possible you're ever gonna figure that out? I mean, we sort of begin to compromise the older we get. We've seen these kinds of results for these kinds of efforts. We expect it's gonna be the same always. But sooner or later, we begin to understand that Jesus really does want to touch our ears, and he really does want to touch our eyes, and he really does want us to perceive the magnificence of who he is, the largeness of who he is, the amazing quantity of things he can accomplish through us. And once we really get a picture of who he is, once we really see the glory of God manifest among us, then we believe that anything he says is possible. Then we believe that he can accomplish any of this because we've seen him. And it's the revelation of him that encourages us to believe that those tedious verses like 1 Corinthians 13, four to seven can be true. Like love must not envy and love doesn't boast and love isn't irritable. You know, those verses that we say, oh my gracious, how am I ever gonna get there? You're not gonna get there on your own strength. It's only by the working of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God and the transforming power. And if you don't have a big enough picture of what God can do, you'll never believe it's possible. But it is possible. Because God is more than we can see or hear or perceive. We just need to believe it. We need to confess with Peter that he is the Messiah of God. And he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. This morning we're gonna sing a song in closing. It may be that while we're singing this song, this song that's designed to increase our vision of who God is, that you may want to pray. You want to maybe pray where you're seated, where we're going to stand or at the altar. You're welcome to do that. But I would ask you to get a hold of this idea this morning. God, give me a vision of what you want to do in my life and help me to perceive, to understand to, to know your glory. And then let's rely on him to do what we can't do. Heavenly Father, would you come and stir us again and heal our eyes and heal our ears so that we can know who you are, so that we can perceive your glory. We know you're present among us. But we feel, Lord, that 
We need the expression of your glory again. We want to, to see the manifest glory of God. We want to know the voice of your spirit and have an opportunity again to agree with what you say and to open our hearts to your transforming grace. Would you, would you touch us? Would you help us, Lord Jesus? Would you, would you give us a real vision of who you are and what you can do? Pray this in your name. Amen. Lord Jesus, it's our desire that your glory be reflected on our faces. And so we ask you, work in us that which is pleasing to you, that we may become more and more like Christ day by day. And Lord, if we need our ears touched or our eyes opened, we invite you to come and heal us. If we need chains that bind us broken, Lord Jesus, break the chains. If our hearts have grown dim, rekindle in us a sacred flame of faith to trust you. Pour out your spirit on us so that it is possible for us to reflect your glory. This we pray in the name of Jesus who is the expressed glory of God and the exact imprint of his being. Make us to be Christ for our world, we pray. Amen. Go in peace.